Hi, hello, welcome. Welcome back, in a sense, to the first, not the top 20 podcast, Monday pod of the 22-23 season. We're sponsored by Betfair. Thank you very much to Betfair for committing to another season with George and I covering the EFL as best we can, twice weekly on this pod. A huge thank you to all of you who listened to and shared our 1-24 to prediction podcast from last week. We are genuinely quite moved to say that we reached number one in Spotify's sports podcast charts, which is unbelievable when you think about it. You're currently listening to the number one sports podcast in the UK at time of recording. That's what I should have said. Yeah. And we reached and stuck around for quite some time around the number four mark in Apple's sports pod charts as well. So we're really, really enthused and kind of buoyed by that. And you guys have helped us make a pretty big splash. So thank you. We hope you enjoyed them. We have picked a winner for our season ticket giveaway that will be announced on our Twitter early this week. But we're really pleased to be giving away a season ticket and it's going to a very good place. George, how are you doing? How did you enjoy opening weekend? Finally. Yeah, it was good. I um, was at Five Live on Saturday, which is always very fun, um, with Steve Crossman, Neil Taylor and Sam Ricketts. Love so that. Quite a Welsh vibe to the uh, to the show. But it was great. I mean, it wasn't the most exciting championship weekend in terms of goals, but I think in terms of narratives and threads on which we can pull, uh, I am excited for the next probably what, hour and a half with you. Uh, on that note, a stat straight up shared with us by the magnificent Peter Lohman, who is a valued member of NTT20 squad and an excellent follow on Twitter as well. Sheffield Wednesday fan with an eye for a stat. Uh, Peter has crunched some serious numbers here and can confirm that the championships match day one will be the lowest scoring in its 121 season history. That goes back to 1892, the second tier unless there are five goals or more in Sheffield United against Watford tonight, which has not yet taken place. This will be the lowest scoring match day one in second tier history. Uh, Only two teams of the 22 that have played so far managed to score more than once in their game. Again, a historical low. But thankfully, we can make the best of any situation. And it's time to introduce a new feature for the pod this season. It's called, at the moment, and it's just a working title, Good Vibe, Bad Vibe. Uh, The idea behind this is that at the start of each segment, talking about each division, George and I will pick out something specific that we thought we really liked over the weekend that was, and something maybe that we didn't like so much. It won't always be one good, one bad. It could be two goods. It could be two bads. Who's to say? But for us, it's about giving each league a really good start, allowing us to expand on things that we've seen that we think deserve expansion and go into some more depth where needed, which is hard to do when you just start at the top of the table and whiz through the results. So to kick us off for the first time ever, George, championship, good vibe, bad vibe. You're going for... Bad vibe. And and I think I'm doing three bad vibes in this show. So I am the, the Grim Reaper of the EFL on this cloudy-ish Monday. Um, <laughs> yeah, the bad vibe has to be Norwich, I think. Norwich beaten 1-0 away at Cardiff. Uh, Cardiff taking the lead through a deflected strike, if we can call it that, from Romain Sawyers. A good low strike, I'm calling it. I mean, it got a deflection. Uh, I liked... I mean, it was quite weirdly hit, Dean Smith said afterwards, obviously having worked 
with Romain Sawyers at both Walsall and then he took him to Brentford as well. Um, few people know Romain Sawyers' game better than Dean Smith and he was convinced it was a pass. I think that's not very fair. It would be quite a weird pass, but similarly, fairly fortunate, I think, the way that it went in. Um, but Sawyers has said in the press this week that he'd been told by Steve Morrison that his role was going to be very different to what we've seen him play, uh, especially at West Brom and at Stoke in recent seasons. He is going to be tasked with being an operator in the final third, getting back involved with assisting goals and scoring goals. And no matter how it went in, uh, it was an all-important strike to get Cardiff ahead. The reason I'm, I'm bad vibes in Norwich is because... You've already created a verb out of the feature, which yeah, I love. Vibesing. <laughs> Cardiff, you know, all credit to Cardiff for doing what they did. They didn't create very much at all in the game. And I guess some credit has to go to Norwich for that. But Norwich were fairly appalling, you know, using info goals, XG um, model. They only created... 0.35 uh, going forward in the game and that is despite being behind for the majority of the second half and that is also despite Perry and G being sent off after 73 minutes so although not for the rest of the game because Grant Handley was later sent off um, in, what was it 15 minutes later 12 minutes later um, Norwich were not only unable to create much of use when they were level when they were behind and then they were behind against 10 men uh, it was a pretty poor showing and also I think in terms of bad vibe for Grant Hanley to put in the, the really foolish uh, tackle that he did. I think he was actually very unlucky to get the first yellow card, to be fair to him. He kind of squared up um, to, I can't remember who it was, which kind of player it was. I think it was the, Perry and G. Yes, exactly, who, <laughs> who got sent off. So he, he kind of squared up to him, but it looked to me like it was Omer Bamadeli um, who actually pushed NG. So Hanley was unlucky in that respect, but as a senior pro... Um, it was a pretty moronic challenge from behind, uh, which which led to his sending off as well. So for for a team who come down from the Premier League uh, with you know as title favourites, um, with such a good record at this level, with players such as Puki and and Cantwell who know this level, with players such as Sargent and, Rish and Rashika who should be you'd think too good for the level uh, to come down and and be so toothless, to be so indisciplined, uh, and then you also got to say that I think for Dean Smith, given given that Smith was the Norwich manager for the second half of last season, that there were pretty much no redeeming aspects to his tenure. And this is a manager that I'm a big fan of, but there's no denying he, he didn't do much last season. And to, to get off like this, it feels to me like, even though it's a very, very early stage for their season, they host Wigan on Saturday. And, and you would expect the Norwich fans to get very, very restless, unless that is the convincing win that they would expect. So it's early you know, and, and Norwich are still the title favourites. So I'm not by any stretch saying that it's it's curtains or anything, but on opening day, it's hard to really see how Norwich's first assignment could have gone any worse. They struggled to sort of earn the right to play because they were outbattled by, by this Cardiff side who were absolutely tenacious all over the pitch. It was eight of the starting 11 that were new players for Cardiff City. Waters played up front might as well be nine out of 11 starters because he hasn't really had much of a look in over his time at, at Cardiff so far. Uh, and so many of them were impressive. I think Collins, probably the standout of the newbies, the left back who they signed really early this summer, went after him, got him in and he had a really, really good game. Um, but Winter at the base of midfield was excellent as well. The, the midfield all round, Rinomota with his mobility and his athleticism, we flagged it in the 1-24s. Morrison very clearly adding legs, athleticism to his team. 
and against Norwich, it was a good outcome for them. They made the most tackles of any team in the league. They made the most fouls of any team in the league. Norwich absolutely hated every second of it. Rashica, you mentioned, was fouled five times. They just fouled him out of the game, basically. And while you might turn your nose up at that sometimes, um, you also need to be able to handle it if you're Norwich City. Um, as you say, not many redeeming features to Smith's tenure. Very few in this performance. Um, Dean Smith did point out that Cardiff's XG was around... 0.05 um, and it's true that Cardiff on most days with that output probably don't score and probably don't win but that doesn't much matter right now it's a good start to the season a good shape good physicality good stuff all round I'm going to bring a, a good vibe to the table what a start to the season it was George Friday night I'm good vibesing the new Burnley um, because they beat Huddersfield 1-0 live on Sky Friday, first day of the season, first night of the season. A Victoria Sports Bar and Grill is where we watched this one. I think we're very pleased with... Superb establishment. Yeah, it's had a had a refurb. I'll be going back again. Good place to watch sport, I would say, Central. Um, much better than the overrated Greenwood yeah. for, for the London heads Tick amongst us. Tick a lot of boxes, empty. Yeah. TVs at booths, mm-hmm. put on the commentary. Yeah. That's all you want. Delicious. It was a good vibe there, only made better by how delighted we were with, with the new Burnley under company. It was quite something to watch. We we knew we had been told very specifically that company was ripping things up and, and playing almost the opposite style to how Burnley had played the last few years. For a lot of people, that was cause for concern. How quickly can one manager come into a club and change the style of play and be effective with it. Well, it's early days. It wasn't perfect. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh my God, it's the best team we've ever seen at this level. But it was pretty damn fun to watch. And it was effective. And it was inventive. And it was a bit different, to be honest, both in terms of, of Burnley's recent history, but also in the context of a league where certainly by the end of last season, there was a fair amount of uniformity of formations and playing styles and it made individual matches for me slightly less exciting because so often we saw 3-5-2 against 3-5-2 battle of the wing backs congested middle of the park and athleticism and more direct play mostly um, kind of winning over uh, technical ability now the noise I made when Cullen what a performance from Cullen dinked one over the defence onto the unrushing Connor Roberts, who was denied. That was pretty inappropriate in a public space. George and I apologised for that, but I couldn't help it because by that point we were purring. Josh Cullen, the one really to flag up. Josh Cullen-Yester. Cullen-Yester. We're making it happen. Burn Salona, you called him, and Cullen-Yester. I prefer Cullen-Yester as like a long-term thing because I could feel that, I could see that taking off and then Mm -hmm. we can always peg it down to that uh, sitting in the Victoria... (laughs) I'm happy to shelve Burnsalona though. Um, what did Cullen do? Well, he played in a midfield too alongside Jack Cork and he orchestrated everything. He sent Ashley Barnes through on goal. He sent Matson scampering through down the left. He sent Roberts through as discussed. Outside of that, even if you take out his three best passes of the game, he must have played another 20 excellent progressive passes, either switched balls to the opposite flank or smart straight passes through the lines into feet uh, of attacking players in and around the box or through balls to Matson rushing down the left side or Barnes into the channels or, or Costello, the youngster who played on the right wing. He was absolutely magnificent. Um, I want to shout out Cork. I think as his midfield partner, Cork helps to keep it all in the bottle. Uh, if you will, just help keep some control because Cullen can and will get all over the park to to operate. I think Brownhill's going to be good playing in in an advanced midfield role and Matson put in a serious shift. If he's fit enough to get up and down like that, 
for 46 games, then he's going to have some major output from left back. George, um, fair to say you're a pretty bullish Burnley backer pre-game and you watch this one having got a little bit of blowback about your, your bullishness. You watch this one with a Camden pale in hand and a smile on your face. Yeah, I don't think it could have gone much better for those of us who've kind of backed uh, Burnley pre-season and made our opinions clear. Like, it's very important to remember that this is early days. Uh, I kind of, on Five Live on Saturday, I I said, I'm sure there are managers out there who, whilst being impressed with what they saw from Burnley, will also look at it and really fancy themselves to be able to hurt them um, because they leave themselves very open. Uh, I think they'll play few teams. I think Huddersfield were slightly at a disadvantage where they hadn't seen what Burnley were going to do. And I think when you have a team playing with that amount of tactical fluidity, um, positional fluidity as well, playing a 4-2-2-2 uh, out of possession and then switching to a three in possession, you know, it makes it hard to work. But then, you know, you can guarantee that Nathan Jones and his team will spend this week basically knowing exactly what they're going to come up with and finding ways to, to deal with that. Um, but yeah, it couldn't have started better. I'm very excited. And also the fact is that you know, Mark Robbins said after the, the Sunderland game yesterday that Callum O'Hare is absolutely going nowhere, that he had an injury yesterday. Um, they've also been linked to Elliot Anderson at, at, at Newcastle. It seems pretty clear to me that we're going to see another one or two of that type coming in. And that that is exciting. Like I would love, you know, hair in that system would be incredibly interesting. I'd love to see Anderson there as well. They are wedded to getting in ballers to play in, in that in that in that system and it's gonna be it's gonna be a joy to watch. Great favourite of the pod over the years, or over the last two years in, in particular, Scott Twine came off the bench. Uh, he hadn't played many preseason minutes, so he wasn't ready to go from the start. Not long after coming on, um, with the eyes of the world watching, because you have to remember this is going to be one of the most viewed live EFL games of the season, given that there was no other games going on, no Premier League weekend for people to be thinking about. And there was Twine, who everyone would have heard a lot about, standing over a free kick 20 yards out. Um, stood over it for ages and then whipped it onto the outside of the post. It was almost the, the perfect you end. Made to another it. weird noise. <laughs> perfect end to a good night for Burnley. I guess my only concern right now, having seen the style, is that compared to some of the other teams that they came down with, right now, yeah, the lack of depth and the lack of options in uh, off the bench and, and deeper in the squad. They've got Jay Rodriguez to come back, who I think if he can get fit and motivated will be excellent in that number nine role that, that Barnes played. They've got Goodmanson as well, who's been out, who I'm sure will add some value um, with with that absolute cannon left peg. Vidra, Westwood's out long-term as well. I think even with those four in mind, there's still a bit more that could be added um, uh, to this squad. They, they played against a Huddersfield team who were very unimpressive, who were pretty muddled, um, who frankly looked like they were missing Carlos Corboran and his organisational skills and his tactical skills. Um, it looked like they were somewhat caught cold by Burnley, which is understandable. You wouldn't want to play a team like this first day of the season with no data to go off and not much video to to study beforehand. But even so, it was a tough start for Danny Schofield. Tino Andrian coming off the bench, probably their only bright spot. So that's good vibe, bad vibe, or as it was bad vibe, good vibe uh, in the championship to kick us off. A couple of things in focus and we'll now head through the rest of the uh, significant results. George, why don't we start with, well, big winners of the weekend. Millwall are top of the league. They beat Stoke 2-0. This was a game in which there was very little created from open play, but the game isn't just played in open play. There was no doubting that there was one team that caused the other a lot of problems and one that did next to nothing. Yeah, it was, it was amazing how consistently uh, Scott Malone's corners seemed to cause 
absolute carnage <laughs> in the Stoke box. You know, they had eight corners in, in the game and, and it felt like four or five of them resulted in, in pretty good chances and two of them resulted in goals. Um, for Charlie Cresswell, his first game in on loan from Leeds, what an incredible start to his uh, loan spell, top score in the championship after one game. Uh, he also he also had another chance that was um, yeah. well saved as well. So Millwall were, were pretty dominant. And I think, again, the important part here probably isn't about their attacking play, although they clearly did enough to win the game. It's more just that even though they were ahead after 12 minutes, they restricted Stoke to, to very, very little. Um, Stoke only came close to scoring when Bielkowski made uh, nearly made a bit of a clangor and actually ended up making a pretty incredible stop on the line, given where the position he, he found himself in. But apart from that, Stoke looked very poor. Um, I'm personally not surprised that a Dwight Gale who's played very little football for a long time wasn't the, um, the Dwight Gale of old. I think if he's, go- if he's going to get to that level, not only does Stoke need to massively improve in terms of their chance creation, but it's going to take him a long time to get back there. Um, I think it's, it's it's a fairly lazy assumption that he's going to come into the championship and, and immediately score 20 goals because of what he's done before, especially when you look at the strength of the sides he's previously previously played for. Um, so yeah, it couldn't have been a better start for Millwall, really. And our, our kind of pre-season, op- pre-season optimism has got off to a um, yeah a bit of a flyer. They're so unbelievably disciplined out of possession. They barely make a, a misstep on that front. And so you really have to be very good and quite in rhythm and quite inventive to play through Millwall, to, to create chances from open play. And Stoke were completely the opposite. Insipid would be the word I'd use. Four shots in total. Um, they couldn't really progress the ball down the right-hand side. Um, they struggled on that front. Harry Clark, who's a right wing back, he's on loan from Arsenal. Very impressive physically, but by all accounts was was struggling a little to um, carry the ball, to progress the ball, to, to offer much in the middle and final thirds. So it was all down the left side with, with Klukas and Tymon. Um, and and Wilmot, the left centre back, right footed on that side, maybe not ideal as well. That was that was how they tried to to get down the sides of Millwall, and realistically, it, it wasn't well, it wasn't churning out any chances whatsoever. Charlie Cresswell, uh, twelve years, George, after his dad Richard Cresswell's last EFL brace, Charlie has one as well. That's a bit of fun, for sure. Uh, Blackburn one QPR nil. Rovers against Rangers. Uh, two new managers for us to take a look at: George and John Dahl, Thomason. And Mick Beale. And, well, again, this game looked like one between two newish sides, learning new systems. The XG per info goal was 0.32 versus 0.12. But crucially, uh, Lewis Travis smashing one in from 25 yards. We've not seen that from him very often. So the, the good people at Puma and the EFL sent us both a match ball yeah. over the weekend. I took it to the park with me yesterday where I um, had a picnic with some friends and their other halves before watching the Lionesses win the Euros. Go on, the Lionesses. Get in there. Um, and everyone commented on how light it was. Okay. And I thought to myself, we did see, considering how few goals we scored over the weekend, we did see like a lot of quite good, quite bendy, quite like flyy goals, which made me wonder if that's a thing. Do you think the players were struggling with the with the weight of the new ball? Is that what you're suggesting? Mm. Is that why there were fewer goals? I'm more suggesting that a quite a weird amount of the goals were goals like Travis's, mm-hmm. just long, long range, very good strikes. Yeah. And like, I'm trying to think of some others now. Um, there was the Leighton Orient one. The Gokarez hit was quite a weird ball flight. The Delhi Bashiru goals, which we're going to talk about later. It just feels to me like maybe there might be a bit of a trend here of the ball being a little bit lighter. I don't know if you got the same when you were kicking it to your dog um, <laughs> in the field. So what you're suggesting is that this is having a similar effect to the effect that the Jabulani had 
maybe small sample size but uh, <laughs> but either way it was it was a magnificent strike from from Travis um and I also just want to say before we get into the 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 conversation you mentioned it in the one to twenty fours so I did a bit of digging after before I went on national radio and I feel, feel like people need to start calling Michael Mick it's it's annoying thank you it bugs me that you, you were gobsmacked when I called him yeah, Mick because I, I had no idea and I looked the only um places set for here where he's being called Mick the QPR website, obviously, because yep. they know. They know. And then the, like, the local press, because they know. They know. And then everyone else is Who going else for Michael. Call him Mick. Mick Beale. The, the most significant impact I've had on an EFL manager's life was when I petitioned to get Mark Bonner a Wikipedia page when he was yeah. first appointed. And I think this goes straight into number two, yeah. making sure people know to call him Mick Beale. And it overtakes whatever I did to Gabriel Chioffi back in the day, just really creating an icon. Who's your favourite Mick? Um... Uh, Probably that trade union guy. Nice. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Politicising the pod a bit, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan as well. <laughs> I was going to say Mick from Gavin and Stacey. Yeah. I just love the drama of it, Mick. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> anyway, it was um, anyone who's listening to this pod for the first one after listening to 1 to 24s, apologies. We'll get into the analysis now. Uh, yeah, it was, I think, the typical game from this weekend of championship fixtures. Very little in the way of decent chances. I think we learnt next to nothing about either team one moment of quality from Travis winning the game. But I I think there's there's very little to really say. There's very little to glean from either, apart from just a, a kind of focus on defensive shape that was carried out pretty well. No real star performances on either side. I was quite surprised to see Mide Shadipo starting in one of those 10 roles for QPR. He um, had one of those pre-seasons which had people going, C- could he? Has Shadipo, has he kicked on? Should he? Should he po? <laughs> should he stay or should he po now? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, to, I'm, I'm gonna, just going to put a pin in this one and say it's a big result for, for Blackburn because it's in front of their own fans. It's John Dahl Thomason getting off to a winning start. That in itself is significant, but I don't think we learned a great deal about about either side. Interesting that Brereton um, Diaz played off the left with Vela. Sharp, front. yeah, and he looked did look sharp, sharp by all accounts. Yeah, good news. Where well, he scored a disallowed goal, didn't he as well? So. I thought John Buckley was exciting here, um, someone that we grew to love last season, uh, taking on even more of a kind of role of responsibility in, in the base of midfield alongside Travis. And I saw a Rovers fan tweeting that not since two guy have they seen a player so willing and comfortable receiving the ball in dangerous areas and how confident they all feel when Buckley's on it um, does need to dial down some of the um, the fouling and some of the arguing because I think he was quite lucky to be on the pitch in the first place um, after a, a pretty angry first half so Blackburn won QPR nil John Dal Thomason flashing that really nice smile he's got a good he's got a nice way about him John Dal Thomason watch just, his post-match interview just, just an, I really seems have. like a nice guy just one sub made by John as well do we wow. call him on the Beal thing do we call him John or John Dahl <laughs> probably John Dahl okay. if we're being yeah, I don't know if there's any Danes listening to the pod. But Just the one sub from John Dahl. Is it is it one of those where we should be calling him John Dahl because his name is is that rather than John, or is Dahl part of his surname, or just a middle name that we can kind of take or leave, pick and choose as we go? Let us know. That'd be good to hear. Um, a couple of other one goal victories, George. Uh, Hull two, Bristol City one. I uh, watching this one back, I just got the feeling this was quite a weird game with quite a random outcome in the end. Seri with a heavily deflected 93rd minute winning goal. Um, do you think we learned much about about the shape either side is in uh, in this opening weekend fixture? Yeah, I think so. I think 
maybe the Hull could finish anywhere between first and twenty fourth. Can maybe be like Hull could finish anywhere between first and like twenty first. Okay. I think there's enough there. Them yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think especially given that um Atrun Charlie, their owner, said before the game that he thought maybe they weren't ready for the season, that it had come a bit too early for them given the business they still want to do and how poor their preseason had been. Yet another example here of having a poor preseason means absolutely nothing in terms doesn't of matter. the season itself. Just doesn't matter. Irrelevant. Similarly if you have a if you have a bad one, uh, or a good one, sorry. Um Ozan Tufan was Probably the signing that they made where I was the most confident he was going to be quite poor. By all accounts, he had pretty much the best game that anyone in a whole shirt has had mm. at the KCOM for a long time. So that is exciting in itself. Um, Would you say he's the modern championships two <clears throat> guy? I think we just had that, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> John Buckley versus yeah. Ozan Tufan for the, for, the, for the two guy moniker. Um, and, you know, I think we have to say for both sets of supporters, I know the Bristol City... Fans and Nigel Pearson are livid about the penalty decision on Teta, understandably so. It looked, even if there was contact to start with, um, you cannot suddenly realise you were touched and then and then, and then then fall over, uh, especially given that the referees have supposedly been told to only give fouls for genuine contact and not slight contact. It seemed like a, a bizarre penalty decision. But having said that, whole fans themselves feel like they, they should have had at least one penalty, having had two claims earlier on um, rejected. Seri as expected, ran the show in the middle of the park. Um, Vyman getting off to, to a, a good start as well. Uh, yeah, I think it obviously depends on Bristol City and what they had in front of them. Uh, but I think Bristol City looked fine. And I think Hull have shown themselves probably immediately that those key players they brought in, uh, not all of them, you know, we don't know enough about Teta, Estupinian and other players, but certainly Tufan and, and Seri uh, showed themselves here to be up for it and at it. Got a new nickname, first of the season for Andy Vyman, open play Andy. He's never scored a penalty in his whole career. Every single goal he scores. So weird for the best ever finisher at Villa. Well, it is weird <laughs> that he doesn't take him Yeah, uh, because he's an excellent finisher. And uh, 22 league goals last season, not a single penalty amongst them. Often running this campaign as well. Open goal Andy doing what he does best. Open goal, open play Andy. Kind of apt as well. He's never missed an open goal. I'd be pretty confident. Only scores open goals. Be pretty confident of that. Uh, Quirky note from the weekend, George. uh, Hull at left wing back played Alayar Syed Manesh, the young Iranian attacker. Uh, By all accounts, he put in a pretty good shift. Very, very much out of position. We saw Keen Lewis Potter play left wing back quite a lot last season for Hull as well. So they're obviously happy to do things a little differently. Um, Syed Manesh will likely learn some new skills if that's where he stays. I suspect he won't stay there. But uh, it was interesting to see. Uh, I hated seeing someone wearing number nine forming part of a back five um, when they were out of possession. Uh, and he wasn't the only one, George. Uh, in League Two, Mansfield, Jordan Barry, left wing back, in a five, wearing number nine. Game's gone. Game is going, ladies and gents. Uh, Blackpool beat Reading 1-0. Paul Ince back at... Back at Blackpool and uh, and losing to Blackpool. Uh, this one was quite interesting in that Josh Bowler is still a, a Blackpool player. I can't quite believe it. I, I don't know if there's something that I'm missing or if this is just a player that I massively overrate. My perception of Josh Bowler is he would make every single team in the championship better, in particular those that play with wide forwards or wingers. So that would count out looking at the top of the table, a team like Sheffield United or a team like Middlesbrough, where I just don't think there'd be a place for him. But Norwich City, 
you cannot tell me Josh Bowler would not instantly make them a much different prospect going forward. And I, I, I hate trying to sell players because I know it's annoying for fans of, of, of the club, in this case, Blackpool. But for me, he, would, he is just an obvious signing for someone with a parachute payment available um, to make a team better. He completed, I think, five dribbles here. He had five shots. He had Nesta Guinness-Walker on toast. Um, he didn't score, but he was excellent once again. Um, as for Reading, well, having gone behind early, Callum Connolly, Callum Connolly somehow getting to the ball first when there were two or three Reading defenders closer to the ball when it was rebounded towards him. Really disappointing reactions from the Reading defence. Uh, and how did they respond? Well, they gave it a go. Would I say they gave it a good go? Probably not quite. Reading slung in 30 crosses in the game towards Yakumete, who doesn't really like heading the ball that much. So maybe not the best approach, but that's the one that they went with. Um, Blackpool, 1-0 winners on Bowler. I think there was some talk, it may have been slightly rejected by local press, that he was basically on his way when they were going to fork out, Blackpool were going to fork out 1.5 million for Brannigan. And then that falling through meant that they basically financially no need to do the deal but we'll see him he's being linked to um forest at the moment which would make sense okay interesting uh that's the end of the the games that finished with a winner and a loser a lot of draws in the champ uh we're just going to sift through them very quickly without going in too much depth and borough one west brom one was i thought a very entertaining game for the neutral it felt very championship it felt very championship opening weekend and from a borough perspective it felt very last season Middlesbrough in that I was hugely impressed with maybe like 80% of what they did. They are, I think, as good as anyone at the moment in the league at building possession, working the ball well into the final third, inside the box, getting into good areas for cutbacks and shots. And something's just not there yet. Whether it's to do with personnel and strikers, that tends to be the sort of the popular view, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is. At some point, if they keep playing like this, I do believe it can and will click. And I think that Borough, particularly with how gung-ho they are under Wilder, which was kind of their downfall here to an extent, they are going to simply blow some teams away at some point this season. But it hasn't clicked yet. And I think it must be pretty frustrating for Borough fans. They really were throwing men forward at 1-0 up in the second half. And, well, West Brom at half-time spoke about it and worked out a way to hurt them and it involved their new star Jedley Wallace galloping into space um, and, and cutting the ball back for their other new star John Swift to smash home so I was impressed with with West Brom's response after I thought they were pretty desperate in the first half fair play to them for, for getting back in the game and taking what I think is an excellent point to be honest away at Middlesbrough It'd be one of their toughest games of the season so Borough won West Brom won excited you mentioned it on WhatsApp to me as well when you see the positions that Duncan Watmore not, you would say, a natural goal scorer was getting into in the first half when Burrow on top and Giles was providing the ammo. If Foss is taking up that position, you would think he would bury, or well, certainly the the one very good chance that the Watmore had as well. So quite a weird little wrinkle to looking at the shot map. Burrow took loads of shots from like 30 yards. Quite weird. As well as being quite good. I, I can count seven, which is strange. Maybe it's because David Button was in goal and they thought, you know what? Test him out. Let's see. For the most part, he was on the button. Um, George, which one do you want to talk about next? We got we got Rotherham one, Swansea one, <coughs> Sunderland one, Coventry one. Maybe you take one of those. Yeah, I guess Sunderland one, Coventry one. Um, it was a it'd be frustrating for Sunderland that they weren't able to get the 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 three points. I think on the balance of play, they probably deserved it. Um, Jack Clark with a 
I would say a rare headed goal. But he doesn't score many goals anyway, so just a rare goal. Um, but uh, but a decent header as well. He had the best chance to make it two 0 But the moment of quality, and I would probably go as far as saying the moment of quality in the whole weekend um, was from Jokeres. Just an unbelievable goal. Uh, not only the finish itself, but the speed at which he was able to pick up the ball, beat two players, and then and then hit it into the bottom right hand corner. Breathtaking. Uh, a proper moment of of real real quality to to bail Coventry out. Um, as Mark Robbins said after in his interview, he said, you know, it's a, it's a pretty tough place to go on opening day at the best of times. But when it's Sunderland's first game back in the championship, um, you know, it was it was definitely a point that Robbins would have taken. Um, but so I guess Sunderland come away from it probably being the more frustrated, but decent signs on the day. They went up against a, a Coventry side who we, I think, are pretty confident are going to be at the very worst mid-table and they, and they probably shaded the game. Just felt like classic championship televised fair to me where... It's good intensity, both teams having a go, not always clicking, not always on the right wavelength. Team A goes ahead after a keeper gets himself in trouble in no man's land. And then the momentum shifts in the second half just due to the match situation, due to the the game state. And then Team B put the pressure on and eventually a striker who's been off his game all afternoon just mashes one into the corner from 20 yards. One goal, Gyok up and running for the season. Rotherham won, Swansea won. I'd say an impressive opening day performance from Rotherham uh, in this game. I think they were pretty good out of possession. They were pretty ambitious with how they wanted to get after Swansea. They didn't just let Swans do what Swans do and, and tickle their tummies. Absolutely not. They were um, they were they were they were what we've come to expect from Rotherham. It's that out is, of possession. Is that a rate. reference to actual Swans? <laughs> I wouldn't get close enough not to a Swan I. to tickle its tummy. But it's just funny to use an actual animal to make that reference that I just can't imagine anyone ever tickling a Swan's tummy. Well, you're, uh, you're just projecting on what you like. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> You've thrown me off my rhythm now. Um, yeah, impressed with Rotherham. And they took the lead. Ogbene playing in a forward role rather than a, a right wing back role, which I think probably makes sense given the step up in level and and realistically the balance of play uh, in Rotherham's games. This season's going to be very different to last season. Paul Warren knows that. Uh, and Ogbene and his speed on the counter-attack, if he stays through to the end of the transfer window, it's going to be huge for them because he will be a massive threat even during spells where Rotherham are defending and defending their own box um, and a rare-headed goal from him. Uh, Harry Darling was, would you go as far as say, at fault for Ogbeni's goal? Probably not. It was a quick flicked header, but would you want your your new centre-back to be a little bit stronger and, and, and maybe jostle a little bit better for position there and, and try and use his, his increased well, his strength advantage to be a little bit stronger? Maybe. As you say, he, he absolutely made up for it because one thing that's not in doubt when it comes to Harry Darling is his technical quality in class, absolutely spanking one in from 25 yards out on debut to pull one back for Swansea, who should have ended up winning the game when Michael Obafemi, in such wonderful form in the back end of last season, um, kicked the ball basically out of the goal after it was fizzed across to him from uh, from one or two yards out. One of the worst misses of the season. On the opening day, um, let's split the nil-nils, George. Wigan nil, Preston nil, Luton nil, Birmingham nil. Wigan nil, Preston nil um, was not really a nil-nil. Um, again, the info goal XG uh, has at 1.45, 1.37. Uh, Freddie Woodman making uh, a few really important saves to to kind of keep Wigan at bay. Um, I thought it was a, a, a pretty good open game between two sides and two sets of fans, so probably leave it feeling pretty positive about their chances for the, for the upcoming season. It's weird um, that on the opening championship weekend that the more open games seem to have been the ones where there have been few goals, uh, but but this was certainly one of them. And, um, you know, I think it's pretty 
pretty brave, I guess, of whether it's Liam Richardson's decision or the Wigan board and owners or the you know the staff, the um, the the off-field staff to to go into this season um, with a yes, a squad that won the League One title last season, but I wouldn't say necessarily come into this with you know bursting with championship quality. Um, but continuity is, is is key and can be very important. And and they they perform well on opening day and. For for Ched Evans, um, you know it was a it was a pretty poor tackle, I think, and, and deserving of a red card and, and a and a ban. He's going to get after. I just love that you've given big ups to Freddie Woodman for his performance in goal when Ben Amos is sitting there being like, "I made the best double save of the weekend quite comfortably, um, probably the most important moment of that match." Uh, so both goalkeepers, both goalkeepers on good form. Uh, Amos certainly saving Wigan at one point uh, in that first half. Luton nil, Birmingham nil. Well. In a sense, the positive for Luton is that they didn't get thrashed by Birmingham City like they did in both league fixtures last season. That was one of the stranger quirks of last season's championship campaign. Um, But they didn't beat them either, uh, and they will be frustrated because they had most of the play in this game. 38% of the match was played in Birmingham's defensive third, uh, but Luton couldn't quite get it done. Uh, I'd say there were plenty of positives. They're playing some nice stuff. Uh, Carlton Morris looked very bright. Him and Adebayo playing up front together is, is pretty frightening in many ways Uh, and Luke Freeman playing in the number 10 role for Luton classic Nathan Jones reclamation project here which because it's Nathan Jones and it's Luton I probably will guess will go quite well but I mean we haven't seen Freeman performing in the championship for longer than a five game spell for what feels like about three years lively though wasn't he and yet he showed some incredible feet at one point in the first Mm. half that reminded me how much we loved him about four seasons ago when he was playing for QPR Um, he's one of those guys who's not nearly as old as you think he probably is. Uh, and therefore, if they can keep him fit and motivate him, we'll probably repay their faith in him. Um, Blues had a, a couple of spells, um, but they were better probably defending their box than they were uh, trying to trying to create at the other end. For Hetta, quite an impressive debut. Um, speedster, isn't he, down the side on loan from, from uh, Norwich. Bakuna was quite good. But John Ruddy in goal, probably the standout for them, um, looks really commanding. And, and you have to think if Ruddy's going to be that good every week, then Blues have a massive, massive net positive in the net. Uh, and that will certainly help them this season. A quick one for the tactics nerds, because by the end of last season, and I mentioned it earlier, I was getting a bit bored and I was getting a bit disappointed from a, a tactical perspective at how many teams were playing the same style. Um, by the end of last season, 20 of the 24 championship clubs were playing three at the back formations. Um, within that, obviously, a few different ways of doing it. But for the most part, it was 3-5-2 or something very, very similar. That's not fun. That's not interesting. It makes um, individual games, for me, less interesting, less exciting. So I wanted to see what had happened on opening day. And I'm pleased to say, George, that uh, a few managers are trying to redress the balance here. Most notably, some of the newbies, uh, Company, Appleton, Thomason, Beal, all playing with a back four. Um I think Watford and Blades, who are playing later, will both play three at the back. So by the end of the weekend, we'll have had 14 three at the back systems, 3-5-2 or a variant of, and 10 four at the back, 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3, that sort of thing. So uh, still could be a little bit better, but at the very least, we're not starting with 20 out of 24. And I think that's a really good thing. Uh, how about League One, George? Let's do a good vibe, bad vibe. What was something that you loved or not? From League One this weekend. I think we should call this a good cop, bad cop. Because okay. I am the bad cop. We've changed the name Again. within 45 minutes, <laughs> which is fine. That's what it should... Bad what... cops giving bad vibe. That is my... Um, yeah. MK Dons are my bad vibe. 
Um, I think only because I had such good vibes going into the season for them. I was really excited. I didn't necessarily think that the... Um, that, yeah, the loss of Darling and, and Twine would matter so much when you can trust their recruitment to the extent that, that I certainly do. Um, but they were battered by Cambridge, if we're honest. Um, again, the important thing with these these bad vibes is to, is to credit the winning team and not kind of pile it all on the losers because Cambridge were, were very good value for their win. And they, you know, they went ahead after 17 minutes, a, a very good goal from Harvey Nibs as well, some brilliant footwork by him. But it was just the inability of MK to really get into the game at all. You know, we are used to them being so well coached, so well drilled with a manager in Liam Manning, who I'm convinced is um, you know, destined for the top. But they had, despite being behind for so long, they had eight shots in the game, only two of which were inside the opposition area, um, none of which were particularly good. Um, their XG was 0.23 in the game. And it was just fairly toothless and it was it was so different, such a different intensity and such a different um, ability and style of play to what we saw from MK Dons last season. So it's, it's hard to see that, you know, I think even if Cambridge are going to have a very good season, it's hard to anticipate they're going to be a top six, top seven side, in which case MK Dons went to a, a mid-table team at best and came away um, having shown very little. Um, the Bradley Johnson signing looked pretty strange on paper it looked very different to what we're used to seeing MK Dons doing in the transfer business in the transfer market and there was little to me to suggest that he is the centre midfielder who they want to, to play the kind of dominating um, style of play that we see their, their centre midfielders are normally pretty good all-rounders Johnson obviously a very quality footballer but whether or not he can has the um, the ability to cover the amount of um, the amount of, of, of pitch that he's going to need to do? I'm not entirely sure. So, it's very early days. I'm hoping and and probably still expecting MK Dons to turn it around. But if you're looking for the the weakest performance compared to you know you look at the Burton three 0 that we'll talk about in a second. That's obviously disappointing for them. But I think everybody who follows League One has been has been fairly negative about their chances. For MK, that was a uh, a mile off what we saw for, uh, for the whole of last season. Talking of formation changes, we got very used to MK playing a back three last season uh, with Lewington on, on the left side of it. A, a tweak here, four-two-three-one for Manning. Um, Lewington playing on the left of the back four, probably realistically operating in, in very similar areas to, to where he operated last season, but um, still something of a surprise. Um, but it means that they can get what they do have is quite a lot of wide forward types in their squad now. So I guess it's about trying to get them involved while keeping that, that sort of technical midfield and, and and bodies in midfield so I mean it's still a very fun technical um, group of players McEachran and Smith at the base of midfield that's um, Matt Smith one of many Matt Smiths in the EFL um, that's the the new man uh, Connor Grant from Rochdale played in the 10 role Nathan Holland on the left wing and, and Dan Kemp on the right wing um, they didn't have a great game let's be clear they, they didn't create nearly enough in the final third and that's credit to Cambridge and their excellent shape as as we've come to expect from them but um just a lot of new players that it looks like might need a couple of weeks to, to bed in that could all change they might blow a team away next week it could just be George a sensational performance from Cambridge they started this game so strongly you know Smith hit the bar for MK from 20 yards after about 30 seconds and then after that it was all Cambridge um six shots to one in the first 20 minutes uh, at the end of which they scored uh, Harvey Nibs with brilliant feet and finish to score this goal. And it got me thinking, George, we, we spoke to Mark Bonner about this at our live show. Could Harvey Nibs be the one this season? Not necessarily the one as in 
to score 20 plus goals like Mullen, like Smith, like Ironside have in the last few seasons. But could he be the one that Bonner takes and rather than needing to sign someone new and shiny and with, with spend on it, just improves and turns into a serious contributor for this Cambridge side. Because from the looks of it, he's got plenty to offer. Uh, he only made 14 starts last season. But he's 23 now, uh, and with Bonner involved, you kind of back him to, to kick on. Um, one to watch, Harvey Nibs, for sure. A feather in the cap of Bonner and his team there, that one no win against MK to start the season. Uh, thankfully, good cop has a good vibe. Um, and it's in the Midlands, where Derby beat Oxford 1-0 in front of 31,000 Derby fans. Uh, 31,000 people feeling a lot of emotions, but mostly, I guess, relief, uh, hope, and then by the end, with three points in the bag, some excitement as well. I think we should just give a quick update. You did it on the 1-24s, to but um, a kind of official Monday pod Derby County update for those who, who weren't keeping track over the summer. They didn't get taken over by the so-called preferred bidder, Chris Kirchner, Um which would have been completely catastrophic given what has come out about him since. Some amazing reporting on him and the breakdown of his business and the incredible bluster and obscuring of very fair and in the end true questions about him and about the source and the nature of his funds. Uh, I don't know exactly who to give credit to for not just pushing the deal through when there was quite a lot of pressure to do so. Um, even though there were always some questions about funding. Thank God it didn't get pushed through. Um, thank God Chris Kirchner is not the owner of Derby County. Thank God David Klaus is because local businessman, lifelong fan, he's bought the club and crucially for its future, he's bought the stadium as well and he is committed to just writing the ship, getting them back on an even keel uh, and then going from there. He was sort of it wasn't necessarily intending on buying the whole club at some point. So so maybe we shouldn't expect him to, to be the owner forever uh, and to, to pump money into the club, but he will look after it. That seems pretty clear, and uh, it's very, very good news. Behind the scenes, of course, Wayne Rooney left eventually. Liam Rossini is their caretaker manager. He's very specifically been given a kind of short-term remit. They haven't made any promises about his future as manager. Um, but I've been told that, during all the chaos and all the uncertainty over the summer, there was always a group of people within the club working on the football side, more specifically on the recruitment side, outside of, of Wayne Rooney, who, who drew up a number of potential recruitment plans based on what might happen to the club, whether it was good news or bad news, they had a plan. And that allowed them to move really quickly when it was done and start putting a squad together. And, and that's been huge for them because we've seen clubs go through the ringer during the summer and then things get sorted, but there's no plans in place and they have to do everything on the fly. That's not really the case with Derby. So seven new signings started here. Um, fairly recognisable style, I would suggest, from from last season under Rooney, which is no surprise because Rossini has always been known as a bit of a tactical mind as well. Lots of emphasis on, on building from the back. We saw Jason Knight at right back. Um, Mendes Lang looked really lively. Uh, but the big moment came from one of our favourite players and people involved in the EFL, and that is the magnificent Connor Harahan. He was one of George's, now hates Connor, absolutely despises him. Um, it was classic Harahan, picking the ball up, 20 yards out, just needs a little bit of space to get a shot off. Pace on the shot, accuracy on the shot, 
into the bottom corner. Harahan wheeling away just like he's done so often in the last five, six, seven years. He just wanted to play games uh, and have something to buy into. Uh, and that meant dropping down to League One, which definitely surprised a few people who consider him championship quality. And he looks like he's going to have a pretty good time um, taking shots from the edge of the box for Derby County, basically, with, uh, with Max Bird anchoring behind him. Uh, amazing day for the fans. Great, great vibe at Derby County winning 1-0 against Oxford to get their season up and running. Just just a quick note on Derby. Oh, yeah. Because I had some messages after the 1-24s about my criticism of their transfer dealings. And I just wanted to clarify that, you know, rather than it being a criticism of, of the way that they have approached the transfer business, I, I'm aware that there are um, constraints, pla- constraints placed upon what they can do in terms of what they can pay. Although, as I say, £12,000 a week, which is the max they can pay, is still a giant wage for for League One. It was more just to do with the fact that it maybe as someone who isn't, um, you know, has no attachment to the club, but still has spent the last 18 months hoping to um, see Derby safe. It just maybe is concerning when you see a club that has been on the brink um, for so long be saved and then immediately go out and recruit in the way that they have been doing. I understand that the free agent market is a difficult one, but similarly, I'd much rather see uh, Derby accepting maybe a year or two of consolidation in League One and not pushing the boat out. Um, but I am aware, of course, the revenue that comes into the club is huge. Um, it was it was it was born out of a place of well wishing rather than just criticism for criticism's sake. Mm. You are the bad cop, though. So I am. So that is your sort role. out, Derby. Get some loans in. A Wickham with 3-0 up after half an hour against Burton. Hell of a start to the season for them. Um, five shots, three goals. Should have had a pen as well. Some brilliant strikes as, uh, as well. Wickham were, and I will keep mentioning this because I still think it's... I think, I think it's amazing. I think it really flies in the face of what most people say when they talk about Wickham Wanderers. Wickham were the last season's joint top scorers from open play in League One, and they already have three open play goals this season. Um, great stuff to watch, really good direct attacking play. But with Mometi, they might have the star, Anise. On the left side uh, of a 4 2 3 1. That is almost as bad as you're in on the, on the 1 to 24s. Thank you. Yeah, or the betting show. That's what I was going for. Uh, another notable Ainsworth and Wickham finished the season mostly playing a three at the back system, but he switched to a four. That's. That's well. It's going to be interesting to see if that continues because I still assume there's going to be a centre back brought in um, at some point for Wickham, um, and it'd be interesting to see if if they revert two or three at the back after that. The good news is for games like this where they should be asserting dominance because that that's their standing in League One now. It allows Ainsworth to get Mometi into the team over a defender, um, and he was just brilliant because he can do some serious damage. He's he can carry the ball, he, but he's quite direct with it. He doesn't just muck around with it. We saw that with his goal, um, you know, dribbling into the box. He shrugged off uh, a Burton defender and then on his weaker left foot, fired one into the far corner. But he probably wasn't man of the match. I think that goes to Josh Scowan, who, God, he's had an impressive year or so. Complete Looks a completely different player to the one who, who kind of lost all his confidence at Sunderland and elsewhere. Scowan snapping at heels, doing the dirty work, but also scoring a magnificent goal, um, providing some some output in the final third as well. He did everything uh, in this game. And, and uh, yeah, oh, uh, for me, the man of the match for, for a brilliant Wickham side who won this very, very comfortably against a Burton side that looked disorganised, bit discombobulated, not very impressive, 
really need a reaction from the start uh, in their next game before I start getting really quite worried about them. They've got Bristol Rovers at home on Saturday. George. Yes. Cheltenham 2, Peterborough 3. Interesting. Interesting game, this one. 2-0 my... down, 3-2 up within 25 minutes of the <clears> second <throat> half. Yeah. I think from a pure narrative, pure vibes perspective, this is the best way a season can possibly start for, for Peterborough. Um, I think going 2-0 down and thinking what is going on away at a side who you would anticipate you would beat fairly comfortably. And coming back and winning the game um, with your star striker, Johnson Clark-Harris getting two, uh, with Jack Marriott getting on the score sheet as well. So both of your key players up and running for the season uh, and leaving feeling like, you know, this is more than just three points when you've been two goals behind is massive. However, um, I would say in, in pure data terms, and I know we can't get too bogged down on this because it's only one one game. Um, there are some calls to be concerned, I guess. Like Cheltenham were, were able to create chances pretty much at will. Um, according to FOTMOB, their XG uh, was for the game was 2.51. When you consider that the opening goal was an own goal, so it doesn't even register there. Um, that is is fairly concerning from a posh perspective, but also very, very positive, um, especially under a new manager in Wade Elliott for Cheltenham. It would suggest that uh, you know even though they've thrown away a lead, certainly in terms of going forward, they didn't do too much wrong and, and posh only creating 0.83 XG as well from there. You know um, he's getting rave reviews shots. for his first half performance? No. Your old mate, Lundulu. Yeah, obviously. I mean... Anyone who's ever seen him knows he's a quality... Anyone who's even never seen him... <laughs> Knows he's a quality operator. Well, the youngster Ronnie Edwards might be some ball player, but he needs to be a lot stronger against attacking players like Lundulu, who shrugged him off in, in setting up the first goal, the own goal from Kent. Then it was another of the defenders, Josh Knight, with a terrible back pass that set Alfie May through to score. It's something they certainly need to work on. Um, Alfie May, well, that he scored 16 in the last 19 League One games last season. He's got one in one already. Someone tweeted... I'm pretty confident Dara McAntony will be buying Alfie May off the back end. <laughs> but might not need him. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, triple sub at half-time when you're 2-0 down. In League One, to be bringing on Jack Marriott, Joe Ward and Ben Thompson is pretty impressive. Three goals scored within 27 minutes of the second half. Um, it just made me laugh because we're going to get so much wrong from our 1-24s because, of course, you are when you try and predict the fortunes of 72 teams. But... I was so bullish about the fact that I think Posh are going to score a ton of goals, but wasn't sure about their top two credentials because of our perception of their defence maybe being a bit weak. And, well, you distilled it, basically, in 90 minutes there. Um, first ever game in management for Wade Elliott. It's not gone ideally, that, has it, throwing away a two-goal lead to lose. But No, but I would say... You're I, taking the positives. Massively. Okay. I, I think playing up against a promotion, you know, one of the promotion favourites, relegated sides, and creating the chances they created... And, you know, not really giving up too many themselves as well, keeping posh pretty much. Um, I know they conceded three goals, but in terms of territory, fairly far away from their goal. It's a. If I was a Cheltenham fan, I'd much rather what happened on Saturday happened rather than stubbling out a nil-nil draw and, and being battered for the whole game. Like, no question. No one in the world uses the phrase stubbling out apart from stubborning. you. Stubborning. But I love Stubborn. it. Stubborn. Stubborning. Yeah. Stubborning out a, a nil. Um, Argyle won Barnsley nil. This was... New season, same old Plymouth Argyle, I'd say, um, in that we saw good shape. We saw good attacking patterns of play. We saw a great goalkeeper in Cooper who, who made a big save when he was called upon. Um, the difference this season is, well, two tens behind one striker rather than one ten behind two strikers. And I think on paper and in practice, 
this is a team that you want to be watching as a neutral because you've got Danny Mayer and Finn Azaz behind a striker, in this instance, Ryan Hardy. And given that they build up so well, even before they get into the final third, to have those two operating, Mayer in the left-hand channel where he loves to, to combine with the wing-backs and Azaz kind of centrally and, and drifting out to the right, it's so exciting. Um, Mayer and Mumba combined really well down the left side. Connor Grant, you probably remember from last season, was a huge player for, for Argyle at left wing back. Hasn't been seen, basically, in pre-season. Uh, not in the squad here. I haven't seen a ton of transfer rumours either. So um, not 100% sure what's going on there, but not involved. And no one's really missed him because Barley Mumba looks really exciting. Uh, on loan from Norwich, of course. It's a player who's had fascinating development because, I mean, we saw him playing... Was he 17, 16 maybe at Sunderland when they were relegated from the championship? Mumba played some minutes. He was a defensive midfielder, um, a very highly rated one at that coming through Sunderland's academy. And now he's like a dribbly left wing back, but a right footer. Very fun, quite quirky. And he was excellent in the build up to Azaz's goal. Debut goal, Finn Azaz, the definition of classy um, at League One, League Two level. No qualms whatsoever about him stepping up a level. And I think it's a, an amazing fit for him. This team that plays progressive style of play. He's got he's got quick strikers to run in behind to get on the end of his his quick, good passes. Can pass with either foot and unlock defences. And clearly he can score a goal as well. Connor Grant had a groin operation in the summer. Connor Grant. Groin. <laughs> Connor Grant. Uh, so he'll be back fairly soon from that. And also I quite liked how Morgan Whitaker came on and played as one of the tens. I think that is a much more exciting position for him to play rather than off the right, I would say, because he has an eye for goal and I think he'll be fairly productive through the middle. Just saw they brought Jeff Cut, Ennis your and... Your face just then did a weird reaction. Uh, well, because I saw they brought on Jeff Cott, Ennis and Whitaker, which is pretty lively they've when got, you're already they have winning. so many attacking <laughs> options. It is incredible. Um, sensational. I think for Barnsley, it kind of felt like it wasn't horrific and there were probably some positive signs and yet they were certainly second best overall deserved to lose this game 1-0 probably or 2-0 would have been a fair result but hopefully they've seen that under Mike Duff there's going to be good things on the horizon I definitely think that there will be but of course I don't think there's much time in League One this season to get off to a poor start particularly if you're going to lose against other teams that we expect to be in and of course around it <laughs> interesting um, next game for them as well go on Hosting Wade Elliott's Cheltenham. Whoa, I'm going to have my eye on that one. I'm going to be at a League One game on Saturday, actually. Return of the Duff. Charlton. I'm going to be on Charlton TV for their game against Derby County, and I'm pretty excited about it. Why don't we talk not yet about Charlton, because they drew. That comes after. Bristol Rovers 1, Forest Green 2. George, this is quite lively, isn't it? I made a big point on the betting show of the fact that by the end of last season... Bristol Rovers were an amazing League Two team and Forest Green ended the season as not that. I thought Rovers at home with a very enthusiastic home crowd would, would be too much for Forest Green. But Birchnell's boys got it done. Yeah, I feel like the two trust the process sides in the EFL have to be Forest Green and MK Dons. Yeah. And I feel like we might have got one right and one wrong mm. um, where MK started the season so poorly. Famously bad vibes. <laughs> and um, and Forest Green started the season incredibly well. Um, Ian Birchnell starting the season, as we say, without probably three of the key players that, that led to Forest Green's promotion last season and Cadden and Wilson and Adams. Um, they were superb. They controlled the game in the first half. They were unlucky not to be uh, ahead and, and comfortably ahead. Um, having gone ahead, they were then pegged back and, and had the 
the quality to uh, to win the game. A brilliant strike um, from from Regan Hendry or Vegan Hendry uh, to win it and make it two one. I think they are. You know, if you're looking through the EFL for the teams that you have to immediately change your perception of, you know, obviously all of this is knee jerk and things could change. But I think sometimes you can be very negative on a, on a team or very positive on a team and, and straight away see that your perceptions of them, whilst they might get there, there is a, a long gap, but there's a big gap between where you thought they were going to be and where they are. And I think the Forest Green, that is completely the case. They looked um, on opening day to be um, still progressive, still improving. And I think in Birchnell, they may have uh, brought in a, I'm not going to say an upgrade because we love Rob Edwards a lot, but but certainly a very innovative manager. And a lot of people, maybe not Notts County fans who are frustrated to see him leave, but a lot of people who have been close to Birchnell, um, they will be the ones who aren't surprised by this. Like his dad um, or something. Very close. Yes. No, just people who know him from his career, you know. I, I also, you know, holding my hands up, I sent you a message saying, ha Birchnell saying anxiousness because obviously the word is anxiety. And then I, googled it and it turns out anxiousness is just a just a better longer way of saying anxiety yeah so good, good words it. yeah it's good words good at managing probably better at scrabble spectacular winning goal from regan hendry so good. i wasn't sure he had that in him jabulani yeah a bit of jabulani wobble on it joey barton wasn't sure he meant it which makes me even more um sure that he did um good and do- i think dodgy probably facial hair from joey as well i think yeah very very dodgy goatee hate to see it and i think it's one of those ones where i think bristol rovers we're in the ascendancy after equalising, having been 1-0 down. And so the winning goal was somewhat against the run of play. And yet, overall, across 90 minutes, Forest Green comfortably won the shot battle, shots on target, shots inside the box, XG, all of that stuff. Really, really positive performance. And you could probably say the same about Port Vale, who were, were off to a winning start. Home to Fleetwood, George 1-0 down quite early. Promise Omakere, uh, the youngster signed over from Ireland. Very exciting young talent. Squaring the ball for Dan Batty to fire home. Really good goal for Fleetwood. But Vale wrestled back control. Joe, who's a Port Vale fan on NCT 20 squad, said, this will be the weakest team we've put out all season. And it was a relatively comfortable win, which I thought was a a good way of looking at it. Both goals from set-piece situations. um, So it's not like they found amazing strikers from nowhere because that is still an area to upgrade. But when your centre-back can do what Connor Hall did, um, you don't need too many strikers. Brilliant piece of skill uh, to set up Smith with an amazing back heel uh, for the first goal. Brilliant play from those two centre-backs. Uh, and then, of course, the winner as well from a set-piece situation, Charlesley, uh, getting rave reviews as well. And the patterns of last season were were evident, said Joe, which has to be a pretty good sign for a, a Vale side that finished a very good League 2 side last season. Lots of draws in League 1 as well, five in total. Um, some of them very lively indeed. We're not going to go into too much depth. Apologies, but we simply cannot do every game. And we'll be making sure we talk about these teams in more depth in future weeks. Wednesday 3, Pompey 3. Unless they keep drawing. <laughs> yeah, unless you draw every game. Wednesday 3, Pompey 3 was very fun, very bonkers. Can Wednesday just learn how to head the ball in the box? Because it's absolutely mad what happened there. They just they, Every centre-back they sign is one inch taller than the last one, but it doesn't seem to make any difference to how they defend crosses. I just cannot understand how you can have Hickwe and, and, and Hennigan brought in and just still be so appalling at defending uh-huh. crosses. And, and Darren Moore is your manager. Yeah, Like, what is going on? Their first goal was so nice. Ball over oh the top God. from Bannon. Windass running on, timed his run really well. Marv Johnson at the back stick to score. <laughs> Delhi Bashiru's goals were both absolute zingers um, with this wonderful new football that we're using. Um, but Pompey's second half resilience really impressive and just shows that you know there might be things at that club that that the fans aren't thrilled with. But 
they do have a certain spirit about them under under Danny Cowley, and it'd be really interesting to see how they fare in in the other type of game. I want to see them really take control against Lincoln City on Saturday. I want to see them take control away at Cheltenham. I want to see them take control at home to Cambridge, at home to Bristol Rovers, away at Vale. Those are their next five fixtures, and Pompey will be favourites for every single one of those games. And those are the games where I haven't seen enough from them yet. But there's every chance Pompey could be in a very, very good position after six games with the fixtures that they have and this good point away at Wednesday. And Ipswich-Bolton, this is one of those games, George, where you get a lot of both sets of fans just kind of patting each other on the back. Everyone just admitting it was a good, high-quality game of football. Well, you say that. I've seen a lot of Ipswich fans being like, Bolton aren't all that. Bolton are rubbish. Yeah, but the, the thinking Ipswich fans, the knowledgeable right. ones, like yes. Joe on NTT 20 squad, who what was very impressed with Bolton's mm. energy and their pressing, but also very happy with how Ipswich played. Um, after about half an hour in, Bolton were restricted to next to nothing. So it looks like the control that Ipswich have and the, the manner in which they can keep teams away from their goal has continued from last season. But then in a sense, it gets more frustrating, a bit like Borough, that they they haven't immediately got over the hurdle that they had to get over at the end of last season. And that is creating tons of chances, scoring tons of goals. Morsi missed a big chance at the end. We, we think and hope that it'll click and it'll come. But um, yeah, I mean, a, a good performance either way, probably from both sides. Uh, Accrington 2, Charlton 2 was great scenes where Charlton think they've scored a 94th minute winner only for Accrington <laughs> to go down the other end and, and score in the 96th with, with Charlton fans still like strewn across that open away end having having performed some serious opening day limbs. Uh, it was a well-taken goal as well from Adedoyen of, of Accrington. They worked that pretty well. When I saw Aki had scored, I assumed it would have been like a, a, a set piece with everyone in the box or something. Not at all. Worked it really nicely. Enjoyed it. Miles um, Lieburn, nice story. Lovely story. I've not watched... Son of Carl. I've not watched loads of him, so I'm not going to go big on him as a player and a prospect just yet, although he's very big for a young striker. But a lovely story, as you say. The, the son of Carl Lieburn, who was scoring goals for Charlton 30 years ago. Uh, and his mum, Tracy. Tracy Lieburn is the... Head of player care, the player liaison at Charlton. I've come across her a few times, both on social and IRL, as they say. Um, big part of the club. It's been there for a, for a while now, through some thick and thin times, I think it's fair to say. Some uncertain times and some good times. Has looked after a lot of Charlton players over the last uh, decade or so and still had time to um, raise a son that now plays for Charlton Athletic. It's a lovely story. X to one, Lincoln one, we saw some very sexy Giovanni Brown play to set up Nombe for the opening goal. Lincoln equalising in the end. And Morecambe nil, Shrews nil was a match that happened in the rain. League two, George, the standout of the three, surely in terms of entertainment and interest from opening day. Smashing first day. Good vibe. Good cop. Bad cop. Where are you going? Bad cop. Hey. Obviously. And this one I don't feel bad about at all. <clears throat> Lee Tomlin. Mm. you've been sent off 11 times now in your career, as was said in the ITV highlights um, last week at 33 years of age. Lee Mark Tomlin, what are you doing? Like on debut, having been signed, having been blessed to be getting a League Two deal, I would say at a club with genuine promotion aspirations out of League Two. Especially after early on in the, in the game as well, we saw um, Osadebi get what looks like a very serious injury and be stretched off um, for a, a challenge that easily could have seen red um, early on in the campaign for Doncaster. For Lee Tomlin to be sent off 
And for what was, if you haven't seen the highlights, go back and watch them. Tomlin effectively stands in front of the, it's in the 95th, sorry, the 45th minute, plus five. So five minutes into injury time. That was only the case because of Davies' injury. Tomlin stands in front of the free kick taker, does that thing where he kicks the ball back a bit because he was trying to waste time from the free kick, gets a yellow card. Four seconds later, he just does exactly the same thing with the referee still there. The Bradford players come running around him. He then just falls on the floor. Little step on his foot. Mm. Little step on his foot. I'm going to say it. There was a little step Contact, on his foot. Contact, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like leg on leg. But nothing, certainly nothing. All that, I've said is a fact. That warrants. A bit of contact on his foot. You said it's a bit of a step on his foot. It's a bit different. <laughs> You've changed your, changed your tune. Anyway. Someone he goes, stepped on his foot. He goes down and, and as he's lying down complaining about being stamped on, he's sent off. It was just a moment of just sheer stupidity and the kind of ill discipline that can plague a season and you know has plagued a career it was it was a moronic thing to do um i'm i'm very squarely laying the bad vibe at the door of tomlin rather than at doncaster however i've seen a lot of donny fans um be pretty proud of their side not you know not buckling and managing to keep bradford out and, and get a what is a, a very very good nil nil draw given the circumstances but there were some really concerning stats coming out of the game um you know, if, if Tomlin had been sent off after 45 seconds rather than 45 minutes, I would understand this. But in the whole match, in the whole match, Donny only completed 73 passes at a pass completion rate of 46%. Now that is stunning. Like I, I, I can't remember seeing a pass completion stat so low. Uh, Bradford uh, had 22 shots, of which um, 14 were inside uh, Doncaster's uh, box. 1.66 xg they were basically saved by the fact that um bradford were very wasteful in front of a goal uh 0.21 xg for for doncaster so some you know certainly narrative wise a massive point and well done for to donny for for managing to to you know with 10 men not concede but um alarm bells are ringing for me around some of those numbers especially just being unable to look look after the ball at all and for tomlin himself certainly the bad vibes there um a daily to forget I'm going to bring something up that we haven't spoken about off air yet. Let's just talk about a conversation that you had on Twitter with a Donny fan called Big Gaz Law yesterday about this game. Um, and <laughs> and on the Tomlin note, and Tomlin in general, Big Gaz Law wrote, I'd fancy Ali in a race versus Tomlin. Yeah, I was going to send it to you and I thought you wouldn't like it. I mean, A, that's quite funny. And B, I would back Lee Tomlin for sure. Do you think so? He's a professional athlete. Mm. I know everyone's like, oh, he's quite big, isn't he? He doesn't mm. look like a normal footballer. He would 100% beat me would in a race. Of course he would. Hold on. Of course he hold would. Hold on. He trains every day. Right, Piers Morgan. Um, <laughs> would you, having seen Sam Winnell run last season, would you back Sam Winnell in a race with you as well? Yeah, probably. Winnell and Tomlin look really slow compared to other professional athletes who are in better physical condition than them. Against someone who can just about run 7K in 40 minutes... And probably the hundred meters in. I don't know what I could do it but, in. But do you think twenty seconds? Have, you, have your legs gone? More or less, yeah. Okay, well then, yeah, they pretty. I've always good. got a little knock. I'm rarely stretched have your, out. Have your legs gone? You know when you say like his legs are um, gone, like he can't run anymore. Because there are a few professional athletes, professional footballers. I'm not saying Tomlin is one necessarily, but where, where mm. their legs have gone and they cannot run. I don't think you're there yet. Did I ever have the legs to go? You're thirty years of age, just thirty. Similar to Lee Tomlin, then he's thirty-three. He's older yeah. than me, so very similar to Lee Tomlin. He would beat me comfortably in a race, Gaz. Comfortably. Should we ask him? 
Uh, he'd also beat me in an array of technical the skills. The thing is, normally I would say... And he'd let- probably beat me in terms of mentality as well. And I, if I'd played for a career as long as Lee Tomlin, knowing what I'm like on the foot pitch would have been sent off many more than 11 <laughs> times. I would, I would also normally say, let's go up and have a race, you versus Tomlin. But I'm going to, after saying what I just said, I'm going to stay as far away from him as possible for the foreseeable future. So He's probably the best EFL player comparison to me as a footballer. I know who mine is. Ben Whiteman. Josh Cullen. <laughs> Josh Cullen. <laughs> Why do you get the good one? Yeah. I'm going to think of someone really bad to compare you to. Really, really immobile, P- deep line midfielder who thinks their passing range yeah. is better, <laughs> better than it actually is. Um, my good cop, good vibe, is AFC Wimbledon's first win after 27 league games without one. The 7th of December was the last time they won a league game. The 23rd of November, you have to go to to find the last time their home fans saw them win a league game. Um, and this came on opening day, on or the, the first manager under the first game, rather, under a new manager in Johnny Jackson, and was topped off with a 19 year old academy graduate, Jack Curry, scoring the goal that settled it and winning man of the match on his debut. A particularly easy one for me because I was there watching it was an absolute pleasure to be there to share in that with the Wimbledon fans the the atmosphere by the end of that game particularly after Curry's goal was absolutely it was electric it was crackling plow lane it was crackling Uh, and I saw plenty to be encouraged about that there seem some very obvious leaders in this team now and and certainly in the context of last season's uh, collapse the form of in the form of Alex Pierce uh, Lee Brown uh, Chris Gunter, who seems a sort of quieter type to, to the very um, vocal Pearson Brown, but but certainly experienced, I think we can all agree. Um, and you can't really measure that, but you can, I think, see and feel it. Uh, and I think we did see and feel it here. Now, one thing that helps as well as having lots of leaders is being in the league below and having a top 10 budget rather than a bottom 10 budget. So I'm not going to go overboard, but I liked what I saw. Um, a nice mix of being comfortable in possession, building from the back, um, some quite brave passing from the goalkeeper, a few heart-in-mouth moments. Magoma in the sixth role was was very impressive, his first ever senior game, someone that's known for having a lot of talent on loan from Brentford B. Um, but Jack Curry is the one I want to talk about. Chislett with a moment of brilliance to put them ahead, but Curry um, leaping so high for someone who is both quite young, physically like quite small, probably, I don't know, what do you reckon, 5'9", five, 5'10"? Five, he's not yeah. tiny, but he's not a big guy. And he absolutely leapt up. It was like Cristiano Ronaldo-esque. Or if anyone watched the Germany-France women's semi-final of the Euros, it was like Pop's header to put them 2-1 up. It was fantastic. And he was man of the match, not just because of the goal. And it wasn't one of those where they just give it to the academy kid because it's a good story and, and people want him to be happy. He deserved it. He was really committed, really tidy, very disciplined. Um, strong in the tackle and a big appetite as well for Jules. Really composed on the ball, Curry. Combined well down the left side with Lee Brown, the left centre-back, and Chislett, who was the attacking midfielder, but kind of drifting out to the left. Wasn't one-dimensional. He dipped inside a few times when when he was shown the inside, played a few nice passes into the central midfielders. It just wasn't overawed at all, which was really, really impressive. He motored up and down. Um, he's not the most athletic guy, as I say, and, and there were, you know he wasn't perfect. There was one moment where Jordan Green... The Gillingham winger burned past him too easily, got to the byline for a cutback. So he needs to improve on, on in those moments against sort of speedy and direct wingers. But it was an exceptional debut uh, 
Um, and a great moment when he headed home. Very surprising leap on him for someone of his height. I loved it. Um, I'd be pretty worried about Jills. I might go in more depth on them uh, next week, maybe. But really showed no discernible patterns of play, no ideas. It was very basic and unimaginative and uninspiring, and no one looked that up for it, to be honest. Uh, Ben Reeves came off the bench for them and made a big difference for about 20 minutes. Quality, quality player, but... As many have said for a long time, can you rely on, on Reeves all season to, to get fit and stay fit and play 90 minutes? I mean, I don't want to be rude, but he, he needed an energy gel after 20 minutes of being on the pitch. He was screaming for an energy gel. Screaming for one? Yeah, yeah. What he, are you saying? He was in the sensor. Energy gel! Hey! And then he was sort of, he was making a motion where he was kind of, fru- you know, almost like he had a froob, one of those, one of those yogurt Maybe, maybe he wanted tubes. a froob. Well, he didn't get one. He got an energy gel. Um... Regardless, if, if Neil Harris is indeed too good for League Two, um, as has been said a lot since he's been Gilling a manager, he's going to have to either bring in a lot more players or, with the ones he has, improve the style markedly. Or if he's not going to improve the style, he's going to have to be the best motivator in League Two to get this team to become way better out of possession. He needs to build a team that's really hard to play against, a team of bruisers. They weren't really anything on Saturday. So... Yeah, Johnny Jackson's Dons certainly looked like a much better coach team based on that evidence. Um, and there were chants of, we want Scally out, very vocal, 20 minutes into the game. My concerns about Jills, which I vocalised in the 1-24s, very much remain. League 2 was excellent, though. And there's a team at the top of it, the biggest winners in the EFL on the weekend. George Walsall, 4. Hartlepool, nil. Mike Flynn's Sadler Army, off and running. And an interesting trip to him back to Newport next as well. Um, yeah, Walsall, Danny Johnson in on loan from Mansfield um, with a hat-trick on, on opening day. It doesn't get much better than that. He's a funny player, Johnson, where he seems to either play and score or gets dropped and doesn't really play at all. Um, so I can't really think of many sustained periods where he's been playing 90 minutes and, and not been scoring. Uh, a shocking start for Paul Hartley's Hartlepool. Um, couldn't really have gone much worse for them. Um, they created next to nothing. They were battered all game. Um, very little redeeming um, in, in the performance at all. And, and they're going to need to improve very, very quickly. But again, it's very hard to say at this time whether or not Walsall came up against a very poor side and, and therefore put them to the sword. Or if Hartlepool came up against uh, a Walsall side who are, I know their fan base is certainly convinced are, are going to be challenging towards the top end. But yeah, a, uh, an A-plus um, in terms of a start for Warsaw. Are X bad or are Y really good? That's a classic question after opening is that day. The name of, is that the name of the pod? That's the name of my autobiography. Oh. Out soon. Yeah, Danny Johnson, I'm going to put a stat on what you've said. You're very perceptive, aren't you? For six straight seasons... I'm an eyes guy. Before last season, for stri- six straight seasons, DJ was in the top 10... Goals per 90 for the league that he played in. Six straight seasons, top 10 goals per 90. Now, I use that stat because it wasn't goals because there are lots of times, as you say, where he's been out of favour. But whether it's the National League with Gateshead, League Two with Leighton Orient, Scottish Championship, Scottish Prem, albeit he was never a nailed on starter there, when he played, he scored goals. And (laughs) it's so weird because Nigel Clough's clearly not that fussed about about him leaving. It said that he was going on a perm and then at the last minute... Either Mansfield, either David Sharp, the, the director of football, or potentially the owner said, no, no, let's not sell him permanently. Let's just do a six-month loan. 
Um, probably feeling quite smug about that now. But I wonder what it is. Is it physicality? Is it a lack of athleticism? You know, he's not he's not the strongest. He's probably not the quickest. You can't see him. I think he offers pressing much. next to nothing beyond goals, right? Which I don't think every, especially a Nigel Clough, may not like. But, but in the front two. But the weird thing is, know. is that you kind of feel like that is the area where Mansfield maybe needs someone. Is like an out and out goal scorer as well. I mean, as good as Oates is, I don't. I'm not convinced he's necessarily the most prolific, and he does offer a hell of a lot beyond goals. Uh, Barry, another one who isn't prolific but when he plays up front is a does a lot more runs the channel as well um maybe offers more physicality than johnson although he's not the most physical um but johnson seems to be just a goalsman and um for lots of managers that that doesn't really necessarily seem to be enough made a huge mistake of putting a malteser in my mouth while you're talking that regretted it instantly still got it in your mouth now uh really impressed with isaac hutchinson playing in the 10 role here getting rave reviews all pre-season he was and I can see why so many nice smart moments for him in the final third combining with teammates uh, he led a few counter-attacks I'd say without actually getting an official assist from Opta he was the main creator of the first three goals firstly quick thinking from a corner uh, his ball was fizzed in and sort of half cleared to Comley to smash it in then he carried it 60 odd yards on the counter slipped in Johnson whose first shot was parried and then he scored the rebound. Seems a bit stupid that Hutchinson gets no credit for that, even though clearly he's the main reason that, that Johnson um, had the opportunity. And then in the second half, he scampered down the left, put a low cross in. Defender at full stretch, just got a tiny touch on it, just like a stud on it. Um, couldn't clear it, couldn't deflect it anywhere. Smashed in by DJ. But again, because of that tiny touch from the defender, no assist for Hutchinson. But I've seen it, and I know, Isaac, that three goals more or less were created by your good play, son. So well done. Um, good to see him getting a, a, a good home because he bounced around a bit, came through at Brighton, then South End where he made his first appearances. Derby signed him uh, for their under-23s. Loans to Forest Green and Crawley and now permanently at Walsall. Really excited by, by what I saw from him. A massive win for Sadlers. What a start to the season. Absolutely brilliant. And if there can be some life breathed into the Poundland Bescott Stadium, that would be so good to see because it has been a pretty... I'm not going to go as far as saying miserable. It's been a just a poor few years. Poor few years. Hey, what a start for Pete Wilde and Barrow. Welcome Stockport, Stockport to League Two by being 3-0 up at half-time at Edgeley Park. Yeah, amazing start. You know, hopefully one for those who... I feel like with Barrow, it was a classic case of us putting them, what were we, 15th or 16th in the 124s? I felt like a really positive prediction. It was actually, you know, um, we said they are perceived as being the likely relegation... Uh, candidates, but they showed in the first half at least, and actually I think throughout the whole whole game that they are not going to be a side um, to take lightly in this division and have you know aspirations and expectations for the campaign far far higher. The quality of all three goals I loved. Um, Gordon strike from range, the opener, uh, Whitfield no sign at all of a muted celebration for him after scoring against the club where he was let go just a couple of weeks ago, and then and then Waters who was at Halifax with Pete Wilde last season um, picking up the ball on the right hand channel beating a couple of men and firing the ball again past the keeper really impressive um, I think Stockport showed a bit of what they're about in the second half um, two quality players for the level even though they were playing in the National League last season we know that Sarsevich is is probably better well I mean he's a very effective League 2 player and, and Madden um, the, the goal scorer from the promotion season as well getting his first goal with a very smart header uh, a bit of controversy towards the ends I'm not having the the second penalty shout at all um, it was nothing really in it but the first one given a penalty and then an offside a late flag I mean you can't really see from the angle we've seen whether or not it was offside but you can't really complain um, if that was the case or as frustrating as it was for Stockport fans 
But I think the this defeat, whilst an opening day home defeat, going 3-0 down to the relegation favourites, looks very poor. I think it'll it'll age okay. As mm. in, I, I think Barrow will be seen as a better side than, than what they are now in a, in a few months' time. Age UK. Age okay. Um, talking of teams that were initially rated as one of the weakest teams in the league that we were much more confident in. It was a good week for these teams because Stevenage went to Tranmere and won 2-1. And even though Tranmere equalised and made it 1-1 after what, just five minutes after half-time through the excellent Kane Hemmings, Stevenage did come back and win it and massively deserved it. Just comfortably the better side here in basically every facet. Um, twice as many shots, more than twice as many shots on target. In the first 20 minutes alone, Stevenage had five pretty good chances and they were varied chances as well two Pidge Pidgeani headers off the line from corners one Jake Taylor shot from from an open play cross one occasion where List broke the offside trap ran in behind it and, and pulled his shot wide absolute classic Elliot List that in every facet and one Reeves shot where he arrived late into the box um, got involved in, in the attack and, and uh, had a shot pushed behind Reeves did score in the end and might be one to watch from an attacking um, standpoint, clearly tasked with bombing on and getting as close to Norris as possible um, for, for balls into the box. I mean, I predicted 15-plus set-piece goals in the 1-24s. to I'm going to push that up to 20-plus. To wow. Unbelievable. I think Cobblers were like 24 last season, so that's the, that's the target. I mean, they got one here, Stevenage. They could have had three, and it's hard to imagine how you can really defend against the, the, the threats that they have being number one. So really strong start for Stevenage. Um, it'd be fascinating to see how they go because if they can replicate that level of performance in any sort of consistency, they're going to win a ton of games at this level. How the tables turn. I remember sitting here a few years ago saying Piazzani was a good signing for Oldham and you laughed at my face and now you're predicting him to be the spearhead for a promotion campaign from Stevenage. Well, it's almost like it's about horses for courses, isn't it? I did think it was a poor signing for Oldham because he is one of the least mobile defenders you'll ever see. I don't think he's necessarily an amazing defender for League Two level, but he's very good at defending his box and he's very a big threat from set pieces. But if you're going to play in any system that creates gaps between your defenders or spaces for teams to play into, you'd probably don't want pitch playing. You raised it, mate. So I I've know, just, just poor bloke. Just that's a rebuttal. Played really me. well, and you've had a go in. So. How about Harrogate three, Swindon Town nil? <clears throat> uh, Harrogate doing what Harrogate do, and seemingly starting the season in a bit of a whirlwind. The August um, All Stars. Oh no, this was July. July, I know. Uh, yeah, amazing performance by them for Swindon. Firstly, it couldn't really have started worse. Life after Ben Garner. Um, yeah, it was it was a really poor performance, and it was surprising. I think everybody was surprised to see they didn't really move to replace um, Garner with a, an experienced coach. His assistant comes in, and there was little to get excited about by the way of individual performances um, from them. But credit to Harrogate, who looked refreshed after a really disappointing second half of the season. Um, Patterson. Uh, and a goal threat again with the opening goal uh, of the day. Uh, I loved Muldoon's touch for the for the third goal as well. I'm not entirely sure how he managed to get it around the keeper, but he did. Um, you know, I mentioned there that the it aged pretty well. It will age pretty well. The the, um, the the defeat to Barrow. In this case, I'm not so sure. I think Harrogate will feel like they've just gone and beaten a, a playoff team from last season. But Swindon look way way off that side to me at this stage. Shame to see Simon Weaver ditching his his sort of previous quite attacking four four two for a three four. 
two one. He's learning. You can see why he, he he has because they were so miserable defensively last season. And to be fair, Patterson and Daly as the two getting very close to the industrious Luke Armstrong. It was it was good to watch, and those two are real threats, Patterson and Daly. So. As ever, they look energetic, ambitious, and, and ready to go to start the season. Um, good to watch that. Salford 2, Mansfield nil. Well, this was quite an interesting one, wasn't it? And I, I went into this ready to draw quite a lot of conclusions. And then I dug a bit deeper, and I'm unwilling to do that just yet. Salford scored with their first two shots of the season. The 2 up after 30 minutes. Now, Mansfield were just in a bit of a muddle, I think it's fair to say. Bowery was left wing back. Aikens right wing back. O'Toole, Harbottle and McLaughlin in the back three and the first goal was an absolute disaster. Harbottle was man-marking Callum Hendry to the point where he follows him into midfield just to defend a throw on halfway. Um, Thomas Asante outmuscled McLaughlin who's much better as a left-back when he can bomb on versus playing as an outside centre-back and Hendry at that point had motored past Harbottle, was played in and, and finished one-on-one. On, one on one. Good finish from Hendry and the second was all about Connor and McElhenney tracking back and winning it in midfield, gliding past Quinn um, carrying it forward, drawing Harbottle and then uh, threading a brilliant pass to Thomas Asante, splitting two defenders and, and Asante scoring. So it was good play from Salford. It was bad defending from Mansfield. After that, Hiram Boteng and Riso, it's both had quite a few chances each. And yeah, I was ready to read quite a lot into this, but now I've seen it back, I'm not. I think Mansfield, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm believing too much in Clough, I think they can settle. It's quite frustrating that with a team with such transfer market muscle, could start the season with a starting eleven that looks muddled like this, both on paper and on the pitch. But long term, I'm going to keep trusting in in, in Clough, trusting in Stags. Uh, as for Salford, well, you wanted to see Elliot Watt as part of a more ambitious team. He completed 15 more passes than anyone else in Salford's side, so you should get your wish. Uh, your wish, he's going to be the playmaker. <laughs> McElhenney, Thomas Asante, Hendry, front three looks very nice for Salford. Impressive debut from Callum Hendry. Leighton Orient to Grimsby nil. Um, a great reflection on our Sunday scouting reports that we do on Twitter here was that Mikey Grimsby fan said even first half Efete missed a sitter for us second half looked a bit leggy lost to a penalty in a worldie Orient look a decent side should be top 10 and Nick Orient side said good open game that changed when we got a pen Tom James screamer settled it and we saw it out comfortably Monka Archibald Smith all top quality we should be in the playoffs if we stay fit Grimsby solid, but offered nothing much going forward. So I felt I had a really good snapshot. Thank you, Mikey and Nick, for those. Definitely the goal of the weekend, wasn't it? Weaker foot as well. Unbelievable strike. Wellens is clearly a big fan. He said afterwards he tried to sign him like three times when he was at other clubs. And he's moved him into central midfield, where he was playing right wing back last season before his injury, James. Interesting. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good about Orient. Um, No Drinnen here, who I think he's the one Wellens has earmarked for the number nine role. Harry Smith was on the bench after an injury in preseason, and Kelman, who was signed as a third striker, wasn't in the squad either. So they've got a lot of firepower to come back here. Cobblers three, Cole U two, maybe maybe on paper looked a little trickier than we thought this one would be for a team that we like a lot. Yeah, maybe high drama um, with a very late winning goal, 89th minute from Haynes, a new signing, a decent way to make his mark. Um, I think some positives and negatives to be had about Northampton. You know, they got very close to automatic promotion last season. A matter of minutes. Um, this time around, we have, you know, last season they were basically a set piece team who were very, very solid. This time around, we have two open play goals um, from, you know, one from Hoskins and the winner from Haynes. We have a penalty, a piece, um, but maybe a little bit less solid um, at the back, even though they only conceded five shots. They were fairly decent opportunities that Colchester were able to create as well. So 
I'm wondering here if Brady has has seen the need to be a bit better from open play going forward, um, and and maybe early days, of course, but maybe gone too far the other side. But I think getting the three points and doing so in, in fairly dramatic fashion, and having a debutante getting the winner um, is important. Another debutante, Lee Burge in nets with a huge save at the death to keep Chilvers out, and you know big gloves for him to fill really with with Roberts having moved up to the championship with Borough, uh, and he's he's done well. Danny Hilton. League two hilts making an impact already. His first touch for that first goal and the ball through to Hoskins was beautifully weighted. And then a result that certainly surprised us in the sense that had some high hopes for Crawley Town and Kevin Betsy. They travelled up to Carlisle United and they were absolutely dominated. Um, Carlisle were... Proper X and Y won this, isn't it? Wow. Are Carlisle good or are Crawley bad? That's what we'll find out in the next few weeks. It was quite... it was quite a scrappy goal, which made me think like, oh, maybe it was a tight, low margin game settled by a scrappy goal. Not a bit of it. That Crawley back line looks seriously fungible. Yeah, both Crawley. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. No. Um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the both Crawley keepers, Balcom uh, brought in, Ellery Balcom brought in before the game, um, put straight in goal. Got injured during the first half and had to come off, but both Crawley keepers made plenty of saves to keep the, the score at 1-0. Um, one of my most bullish stances of pre-season was that Crawley were going to be very good. Um, that was not the case. I, I think there's a fair chance that Carlisle might be very good, and, and maybe this isn't necessarily about purely Crawley being bad. Um, I was barely concerned by Kevin Betsy's comments after the game. Um, we have to remember that sometimes interviews aren't for... Um, impartial EFL podcasters and might be for fan bases and players but he seemed to see, to see a bit of a different game to, to what we witnessed even though Crawley dominated possession they did like very little if, if anything with it as opposed to, to Carlisle who were able to seemingly cut Crawley open at will and it, and it easily could have been um, a far more devastating scoreline than just the one goal so um, yeah I'm tentatively upgrading Carlisle and, and I'm interested to see what happens with Crawley um, when they play at home on Saturday. Good debut from Owen Moxon, who mentioned in the 1-24s. Really nice story there. Him um, rejoining Carlisle, the, the the club of his youth, um, and and putting in a good performance in the centre of the park. And I was so impressed with Jordan Gibson, who we've spoken about him quite a lot on the pod. He's a sort of player that once every two months puts in an incredible performance, which I just love. So I have to talk about him because I love players like that. And then I don't talk about the the three performances in a row where he might drift in and out of games and not impact it as much. But if this is going to be his level of performance this season, he's going to be one of the league's best players because he's so talented. He can well, he played a sort of fluid 10 role, drifting out to, to, to either side, wherever the build-up's taking place. Gibson will be there combining. And he can carry it, he can shoot, he can set set up teammates. Um, he's so skillful, looking really on it. Exciting player. Lastly, Rochdale 1, Crew 2. Uh, Ainley to Adji put Crew ahead from a set piece. And then Lachlan Brook with a nice low drive on his debut on loan from Brentford B. Incredible noise from that Crew away end, I must say. You could hear it through the highlights. A lot of raw relief pent-up frustration from last season uh, and a nice dose of, of hope and excitement. They saw the game out with relative comfort. Rochdale, well, it looked like they improved a bit. They couldn't have got much worse from the first half. Realistically, it's easy to play when you're 2-0 down, so I'm not reading too much into it. But it sounds like Connor Thomas slotted into that crew midfield very nicely indeed, which should be no surprise. He's a good player. Uh, and worth noting, in goal for crew, uh, Okonkwo, who is on loan from Arsenal. Now, the goalkeeping department has been a huge issue for crew and a big area of weakness for many years now. And they've had this weird, they've had a lot of faith in a few goalkeepers that probably hasn't, 
paid dividends for them. So Scott Morris on Twitter, shout out Scott Morris, crew fan, tweeted, that game was the first time crew have, haven't started a game with either Ben Garrett, Will Yaskalainen or Dave Richards in goal since May 2015 against Bradford. Over seven years. Of course, Garrett, I quite liked, who hasn't been there for a while, Yaskalainen and Richards hasn't worked out really for either of them. So, um, yeah, some positives there for, for crew. Is it more likely the Rochdale are just very poor? Well, we had them right at the bottom of our 1-24s. So, yeah, we probably do think so. And I would just be so glum if I was a Dale fan. You start with a home game. You're probably going to it with some hope. You start with a home defeat. Last season, you have a minus 10 goal difference just from set pieces. You can see the set piece within 15 minutes. Last season, you have a minus nine goal difference in the first half of games. You're a bad first half team, only four teams worse. You start the season 2-0 down at half time. I don't think it's going to take them too long for really for them to really panic. Um, they won just six games after Christmas last season, and this was a poor start. So there you go. Um, we had a couple of draws. Sutton won, Newport won. Very even affair. More on those teams in future weeks for sure. Same with Bradford and Donny, who you did touch on. Bad-tempered affair there. Cheers to Betfair for their sponsorship of this podcast. We'll be back late this week with a, a betting show, proper betting show ahead of the weekend action. And just a reminder to join the NTT20 squad. Many of you have done in your droves this week after the 1-24s. And everyone's been welcomed with open arms. We've got some serious EFL knowledge and I'm going to say talent in there as well. Um, and a lot of good things happening in the squad. So do join. It's a, an EFL community um, and we have a good time on there. So you can check it out for yourself. Join for free for the first two weeks, a two-week free trial um, using the link in our description of this podcast. There is a monthly fee after that. Uh, it's up to you to decide after a two-week free trial if you think it's worth it. But we believe it certainly is and that it's a, a pretty good place to be. So we'll see you in there. Thanks, George. Thank you, Ali going to get the barbecue on to watch this Watford game yes, Watford Sheffield United tonight uh, go well everyone speak again soon